Hey, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your great work uh, through our church, Lord, and uh, beyond this church and through great organizations like World Vision. Thanks that we get to be a part of it and uh, be a part of your healing work and your saving work all around the planet. And uh, Father, we, uh, we, just, we, we, we ask uh, for your presence to continue to speak to us this morning. Um, as we just had some great time of worship and, and giving, Lord, and, and now as we spend some time uh, looking at Your Word and uh, thinking about you know, this topic of the end that we've been talking about these last few weeks, we, we pray that You'd guide and direct our thoughts today. Uh, Lord, you, we, we understand, You understand, we have, we have lots of questions, and there are lots of questions in this world today about life and purpose and the end of all things. And so we're, we're turning to you right now. And so we open up our minds and open up our hearts to hear from you today. Will you guide my words and all that I share? And I, I pray that whatever it is that you want to speak to us today, that we would hear it and act on it and act in obedience and bring glory to you and uh, the work you're doing in our lives uh, in here in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, how many of you know the feeling uh, or maybe have even said the words before, there's no place like home, right? Have you ever, anybody had a moment like that before? I, I mean, it, it's more than just a classic line from a movie. I mean, we know Dorothy says that over and over again in The Wizard of Oz, but I mean, this idea of home, I mean, that's something that resonates in every single one of us, uh, you know, because maybe, hopefully, at least for you or at some point in your life, home means, you know, peace, home meets, uh, means comfort. Again, it's all, it, it's something that every one of us can understand in different ways. Like if you travel for a living, uh, there are probably some of you here today that spend a lot of time on airplane and spend times in hotels. Like, I mean, home means like the joy of coming home, right? I mean, it's the joy of, of sleeping in your own bed, especially if you've been gone for some time. If you've gone on a mission trip before, uh, you know the joy of coming home and being able to share your stories and your experiences uh, with people that you love. If you've ever spent time in a hospital bed, I mean, so often coming home is something you celebrate. And, it, you know, it means rest. If you're a college student, if you've gone away to school, or if you're going away to school this next fall, I mean, one of the things you're going to learn to appreciate is a home-cooked meal, all right, because there's no place like home. I remember when my family moved here 11 years ago. It's been 11 years now, and uh, the housing market was really slowing down at the time, and we were a little nervous about selling our house in Louisville, and we didn't want to buy one here and have two mortgages at the same time. And so uh, we rented an apartment, and uh, that, was, that was for us living in Noblesville, three young kids in a, a contained apartment, a, a small apartment. And if you know my family, and I know not all of you do, but man, this picture just brings back a lot of memories for me. If they, These are my kids. They're, uh, they're a freshman and a seventh grader and a fourth grader today, but they're pretty, pretty young here, obviously. And if you're wondering who the guy is, the young guy with the baseball cap, well, that's what three kids and pastoring a church will do to you, you know, over the course of 11 years. But the other fun thing, I don't know if you can see the throw up on my shoulder, uh, but there, there is spit up there that I didn't recognize at first when I, when I handed off this picture uh, to Michael. And again, if you're a parent, you get it. You understand it and what it's like. The, thankfully, the apartment was a temporary home, and, and for any of you that have ever stayed home with young kids before, you can appreciate Jenny's enthusiasm that our time in the apartment only lasted three months. It was just a three-month adventure, again, because there's no place like having the rest of your own home. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to 1 Peter. Uh, it's in the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. Uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible or maybe three-quarters close to the end. But uh, 1 Peter uh, 
eight, page 828 if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, and we'll have some of these verses on the screen as well. But as Steve mentioned, we're in the final week of this series called The End. We've been addressing some important questions about life, the world, and what happens when it all comes to, to an end. And, and the good news is, the good news, especially if you call yourself a Christ follower, is that God has a lot to say to us about the end and, and how to prepare for it, what to expect, and really what our role is as a church and as followers of Jesus Christ. The tough part is this, that even amongst the most respected scholars today, there are different interpretations on the end times, specifically the timing of these events and the order in which they will occur. And so that's why we're not trying to answer every question or lay out a specific timeline for you, but instead what we've done over these last few weeks is just kind of laid out four important truths that we feel like best describe who we are as a church and kind of are essentials to our faith. And they're this, that God has a plan. We do believe that He's a sovereign God for a plan, uh, with a plan for this world, that Jesus will return one day. We believe that He is coming back, our Savior, that there are only two eternal destinations for every person today, and that is either heaven or hell, and that Jesus is the only way. And that is something that uh, we believe very confidently that we are attaching our lives to and our hope to. We believe that's a message that's available for everyone, that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven for each of us. And so we've been looking at these different perspectives from people like Jesus and Paul and John and Peter, and each of them have contributed to the writings that make up our, our Bible. And last week, uh, Jerry was here and talked about some of the words of Jesus. Today, I want to wrap it all up by looking at the words of Peter, some of the words of, of Peter and what he had to say about the end. Now, let me give you a little background on, on Peter first, and specifically two letters that Peter wrote that are in our Bible, First and Second Peter. Peter was a friend and a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was in Jesus' inner core, very close to Jesus, close relationship with Him. And his first letter that we're going to spend some time in today dates back to around 60 AD, which is 25 plus years, give or take, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, with each of these letters, Peter is writing to Christians. He is writing to the church of the time, specifically those who are caught up in an increasingly hostile culture. And that's very important, all right, as we understand and we try and uh, realize what these words mean then and today. And by the time Peter writes 1 Peter, uh, and if you remember back to your history class or if you're taking world history today or maybe Western Civ, the Roman Emperor Nero was in power, ruling the world. And while Christians like Peter and others had been marginalized and even ostracized for their faith up to this point, they were now being tortured and killed because Nero was crazy. I mean, they, he thought nothing of, of crucifying large numbers of people, especially Christians, at any given time. He was known for hanging men and women from large lampposts and setting them on fire as a way of illuminating his backyard at night. I mean, this, again, this guy was out of control. He was a psycho. And it's, it's easy to understand then why Christians living in the world at this time, especially at the time of Peter's writing, like, again, life was a real struggle. There was a lot of uncertainty. You didn't know if you were going to make it the next day or not. And so Peter writes, to encourage them and to remind them that Jesus will return, but also to remind them that you have an important part to play, that even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though your life is at stake, we have a part to play as Christ followers in this world. Even though they're suffering, there's work to be done. And I just want you to know that that's what I'm praying for you. Uh, that's what I'm praying for our church. You know, even as we come to an end in this particular series, I, I am praying that today, all right, that God will use today to help us understand and realize and remember and hold on to the hope that Jesus Christ will return. 
He is coming back, all right? And our hope is in Him. But until He does, we have a part to play, all right? There is work to be done in this world. And so let's dive in. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, picking up in verse 3. Here are Peter's words to these Christians and to the church. He writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, right away here, Peter addresses the question of home. And it was an important question for the followers of Jesus then, for this church, especially as they feared for their lives and thinking about where's home, where's tomorrow, what's the future have in store for us. It's an important question for today, too and one that we need to keep in mind. And the answer really is twofold, because for now, our home is this earth, all right? Our, our home is, is this planet. It's where you live. Uh, it's where you work. It's the people you spend time with. It's where you play. It's where you go to school. And so earth is our temporary home, and it's not by accident. I mean, even think about this. Think about the disciple John's words about Jesus and what Jesus did for us and the example that he gave and left. He writes this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or I like the way that the message paraphrases these words, that the word, Jesus Christ, that's who he's talking about here, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. All right, that's what Jesus did. All right, that's what he did with his life. He set aside the comforts of heaven and he came to this earth. And he came to this earth to give his life, yes, all right? That's important. It's important for salvation. But he also came to model for us, to be an example for us for how life was to be lived. And so he did that. He came for us. And that's why Peter says, if you skip over some verses to verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, keep your eyes on that word foreigner for just a moment. You know, that word foreigner, your Bible, depending on what translation you're looking at, might say the word alien. Uh, it means one who lives in a place that is not his true home. Uh, and that's what Jesus did. Again, and that's what Peter is trying to help his listeners understand, that if you're in Christ, you're like a foreigner here. We are aliens and, and strangers uh, on this planet. And, and so it's a temporary home. The earth is a temporary home for us. Something else is coming. There is something better on the way. And isn't it true? Like, I mean, if you think about this, and even if you think about your life right now and your circumstances, that when you commit your life to following Jesus in this world, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, whether you're young or old, whether you're single or married, like there are going to be times, all right, you and I, we're going to go through times and circumstances where you don't feel like you belong here, all right, where, you, where it just doesn't feel like you fit in. Like, think about it like this. I, I, love, I love traveling. I love traveling to Albania, um, and Albania, we, we, there's a church there that we support, ICF Church, that Genesis has been a part of, and, and anytime I go there, I was there just a few months ago, I feel a little out of place, all right, you know, going to a foreign place, and, and, and at least for me, the skin color is not much different, but the moment I try and communicate in public, all right, is when it really stands out, and it's just when you really, again, if you've traveled before, if you've been to some foreign locations, like, you, you just stick out, you, you, you feel like you, you understand, you know, what it means to be a foreigner or a stranger. And so what Peter is saying here is that as followers of Jesus, you and I, we're going to feel out of place at times. 
Uh, you're going to find yourself in some circumstances and some moments where it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Every, every now and then, especially as followers of Christ, people are going to look at you like you've got a third eye or something, you know, as you make certain decisions, as you choose certain things, as you react, you know, hopefully appropriately and in certain circumstances. And so don't be alarmed, I think Peter would say, if, if, if the world just more and more increasingly doesn't feel like home to you. It's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 14, for this world, again, if you're in Jesus, is not our permanent home. And, and he says, we are looking forward to something that is yet to come. And so be encouraged. Man, be encouraged today, especially if you're struggling right now. If you've gone through some hardship, uh, if you've received some difficult news, uh, if you've lost someone that you love, remember that the world is broken. The world is a, a difficult, challenging place. We live in a, a broken world. The Scriptures sometimes refer to it as a broken house, all right, that is full of things like grief and frustration. But the hope that we have, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, is that he says that we know this earthly tent this, that, that we live in that will be destroyed, that, that as Christians we have a building from God. He says an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. And so the promise, the hope, again, that we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that heaven is our home. Uh, heaven is our home, and one day Jesus will return. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have this confidence that heaven is your final destination. Now, what will that be like? You ever thought about that before? Ever spent some time just kind of wondering, contemplating, thinking about what's heaven going to be like. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks back a little bit when I was here, and, I, and maybe some of you have been doing some of your own reading. I love hearing stories of people, you know, you're, you're reading on your own, you're studying on your own, our connection groups are talking about these things. Um, I, I thought maybe just as a way of being helpful, if you picked up a message notes page when you came in today, I put some suggested resources, uh, reading resources there at the bottom of the page you might want to check out. But one of those that I brought along today that I wanted to point out to you is this great book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And and he does a great job in here of tackling basically any question you could ever imagine or think about when it comes to heaven and what it will be like. And, and he covers a lot of ground in here and everything that the Bible has to say about heaven. It's a little thick. Uh, it's a little intimidating. In fact, uh, campus pastor Jerry pointed out to me that there's actually a kid's version of this book. And now I realize Jerry reads it a different version or a different level than I do. But uh, no, I've, he says it's excellent. And he says it, it's almost, it's easier to read certainly, and it covers a lot of the same ground, but heaven by Randy Alcorn. But I found this uh, these last couple of weeks. I, I love just a, kind of a picture that he paints of heaven and what it's like. And if you just hang with me for a moment, let me, let me read this for you. Here, here's what he says. He says, you know, in order to understand heaven, you don't need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all this would be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. He says, when I first anticipate my, or when I anticipate my first glimpse of heaven, I remember the first time I went snorkeling. I remember the gasp I made at the first sight of it all. And he goes on to describe the sights and the sounds and the colors and the feeling of the warm water on his body at that moment. He writes, I imagine our first glimpse of heaven will cause us to similarly gasp in amazement and delight. The first gasp will likely be followed by many more as we continually encounter new sights in that endlessly wonderful place. Here's how he encourages us. He writes, so look out a window, take a walk, talk with your friend, use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book, but imagine it, all of it in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, 
The flowers unwilted, the grass undying, blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not depressed, angry, or empty. He says, if you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. He says, think of friends and family members who love Jesus and are with Him now. Picture them with you, walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You're laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it startles you. You've never tasted anything so good. And then you see someone coming towards you. And it's Jesus with a huge smile on his face. And you fall to your knees in worship, and he picks you right up and embraces you. Because at last, you're with the person you were made for, In the place you were made to be, there's no place like home. And if you've trusted Christ with your life, you've put your hope in in Jesus, like you can have this confidence that this world is temporary. It's just a temporary, transitional sort of place. It's it's not all bad either, okay? That's not what I'm saying. but, But what Peter is writing to these Christians who are struggling is, hey, keep your eyes up. Be encouraged. You know, this earth is temporary, but heaven is our final destination. All right, heaven is our eternal home. But what about now? Like, well, what about the in-between? Like, what about in the meantime, you know? I mean, we've talked about all these things and these different perspectives these last few weeks, but what, like, what do we do with today? And uh, what do we do with tomorrow? And what does it mean to, you know, live your life for Christ with every day that you've been given here on this earth? Well, that's a big part of Peter's writing. First, to encourage us, but also to remind us of who we are in Jesus. And Again, the responsibility that comes with calling yourself a follower. Let me read just a few of these verses for you. First Peter 2, uh, verse 9, he goes on, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Remember, Peter is writing to Christians here who are fighting for their lives. And that phrase, special possession, is a reminder of, that they belong to God and they're a part of His family. And that phrase, He's called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light, is a reference back to the Old Testament, specifically the book of Exodus, where God brought His people out of slavery in Egypt and into a new life of freedom. He continues, verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, when you trust Christ with your life and with your salvation, and we've talked about this here before, um, we like to say you are given a new identity. Uh, when you trust Christ with your life, you become a son of God. Uh, you're, a, you're a daughter of God. We, we would say that you are a part of God's family now uh, when you surrender your life to Jesus. And that's why belonging and participating with the church family like Genesis is so important. And not only for you, but for others as well. And, and that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some dysfunction at times in the family. I mean, Genesis isn't a perfect church, and there's no perfect church for that matter. But being a part of a church, God's church, is a part of your identity when you're in Christ Jesus. And it's meant to, to give you hope. It's meant to give you meaning and encouragement. And that's why I believe, I believe this very firmly, that, that you can't truly follow Jesus in this world and not be a part of His church. Uh, that the two go hand in hand. They were, they were always intended to go hand in hand. And so I mentioned going to Albania and sticking out like a sore thumb, but do you know what? Like the moment that I get with the people of the church, like the moment that I, I get together with those at ICF Church and the pastors and the college students and the adults and the kids, I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm home. And why? Because we've got the same Savior. We've got the same purpose. We're part of the same family and with the same mission. 
And so what about now? Like, how should we live knowing the end is coming and that Jesus will return again? What's our role and responsibility in a world that sometimes feels like it wants nothing to do with, with Jesus Christ? Well, what Peter says next is going to provide some basic instructions for how to live, and even if it means feeling like an outsider and stranger. Uh, pick it up in verse 11. He continues, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And so again, this earth is a temporary home for us. Uh, we all know, we all experience that there's sin around us each day, but because you and I still have this sinful nature, all right, that's at work, that's, that's tugging on our life, like that sinful nature wants us to act on our desires. Uh, it just means, this is a reminder that you and I, we're not going to be completely free of those sinful desires this side of heaven, but we can try, all right? We can make every effort as we see other places in Scripture. Paul says to, uh, Peter says to abstain from our, our sinful desires, and that verb abstain just simply means to, to keep away from, to have nothing to do with. Verse 12, he says, live such good lives. And notice these words, all right? Man, they're, they're applicable for us. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes worry about people ridiculing me for my faith. For these Christians, they have friends that are being burned alive, all right, for their faith. But in spite of these circumstances, Peter says to them, hey, no matter what, you live such good lives. Anywhere you go, any person around you, no, ma no matter the circumstances, even if they call you out, even if they hunt you down, you keep living your life in such a way that they might see something about the way you live, the hope that you have, and wonder what is it, what is different about them and the way that you live. Because we've talked about this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The way you live your life here on earth matters. It does. The way you live your life, the way you see your life, like how... How you respond to your lunch server today, it matters, all right? Um, the way you conduct yourself at work and around your coworkers, it matters. The, the way you handle yourself when a political conversation uh, comes up, it matters. The way you care for others, the way you view and manage your resources matters. Parents, the way you pray for your kids and love them and care for them and sacrifice for them, it matters. It matters to God, but it matters to a world that is watching, and they are watching us. Rodney Starks is a professor at the University of Washington. He's written this book called The Rise of Christianity. I love the subtitle. He says, How an Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Changed the World. Get this. He tracks Christianity the first 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and some of his findings are just incredible because in spite of the persecution and in spite of all that Nero was doing to try and destroy the church, the exact opposite happened. The church actually exploded. Now, how? Well, that's what he addresses in this book, and he gives some different examples. Like, for one, he talks about uh, infanticide and how prevalent uh, the killing of children was in the uh, Greco-Roman world, and it was an accepted practice uh, that was usually exercised when the baby was female or when the baby had physical disabilities. And on many occasions, these new babies were just simply abandoned. They were abandoned in the woods for a wild animal or whatever, but the early Christians, the church said, no, that's unacceptable. And so they got a very active in the cause, and, and so many 
Semitic Christians, they would go into the woods and they would find these children, and they, those that had been abandoned, they would rescue them and they would bring them into their homes and care for them and raise them. And in fact, the early church had a big role in helping to start a lot of the first orphanages that the world had ever seen. Uh, the early church also valued women, as he talks about, in ways that the world had never seen or experienced before because women had very few rights in the ancient Roman world. But it was Peter, and you can read about this in chapter 3 of this same letter, that commanded husbands to love their wives as equal partners. Now, we hear that and we say, well, duh, right? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. But in the ancient world, this was absolutely countercultural. And then this, there were two great plagues uh, that swept through the Roman Empire in the early years of Christianity, AD 165 and AD 251. And in both cases, it has been reported that one-third of the Roman population was wiped out. And most people avoided the plague at all costs. Who wouldn't, right? But there are these historical accounts of how people would take their sick friends and their sick family members, and out of fear for their own lives, they would just abandon them. They would dump them in the gutter to die. And if you were wealthy enough and the plague came to your city, you would just simply leave your city and you'd go set up life somewhere else. And so there was this great crisis, but then something happened. Because when everyone else was leaving, many of these Christians in the church, they chose to remain and they tried to nurse these people back to health. It was the historian Will Durant who wrote this about it all. He writes, Never had the world seen such a dispensation of alms as was now organized by the church. She helped widows, orphans, the sick, prisoners, victims of natural catastrophes. She frequently intervened to protect the lower orders from unusual exploitation. And you think about it. In the midst of this increasingly hostile culture, and in spite of this extreme persecution, Peter comes along them. He comes along these Christians in the church and says, hey, I know it's hard, but this is temporary. Heaven is our home. We've got a purpose. We've got a mission. You keep loving people as Jesus loved people because the way we live lives matters. And what's even more fascinating is that in 313 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine issued an edict proclaiming Christianity as the official religion of all of the Roman Empire which unfortunately did not prove to be a great thing for the movement, but that's a conversation for another time. But to think of the impact that these Christians and the way they lived their life and they saw everyone, the difference that it made, what they did, again, their impact on the world. Man, we got to believe, we got to hang on to this hope that we can do, it can happen again. Like that the church of Jesus Christ, Genesis Church, you and me, like we can be a part of God's work of helping people find their way back to God in this world. Like you could say that part of our role, a big part of our role as Christians is helping to bring heaven to earth now. And that, that's going to mean every person, every student living on mission, living as if Jesus were living through you. Uh, it, it means modeling Jesus and serving people around you. It has everything to do with partnerships with great ministries like, like World Vision, coming alongside of them and the great work they're doing, the financial investment that comes with that, the generosity that we're able to demonstrate together. We're a part of God's work. We have a role to play until Jesus comes back. And so Peter, he just, he's challenging you and me as well. Like these words are for us today too. He says to live to distinct lives. Again, no matter what you face. And then he continues, and I'll warn you, it gets a little interesting here. Check this out, verse 13. 
He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Wait, what? Because remember at the time of writing, Peter's talking about Nero, the crazy lunatic guy who's burning people, slaughtering these people all around him. You had to be thinking if you were then, are you kidding me, Peter? But I can only imagine Peter responding back, no, I'm not kidding. And I'm not asking you, can, I can hear Peter saying this, I'm not asking you to condone his behavior, but before you go tearing him down with your tongue, would you please make sure you're getting on your knees and praying for him and praying for these people? Because even though you can't control him, what you can control is the way you live. And Peter says, I want you to live such good, faithful, humble lives that people will look at you and they will see the way you live and react and they will just be overwhelmed by it all. Can I just say this for us? The election season is here. It's upon us. And I want you to know that I think it's okay to have an opinion, convictions, and a vote. As Christians, I think we should call right, right, and wrong, wrong. But before you speak up, shout out, tweet, post, or chat about anything or anyone this election season, remember this, the person that you would never, ever dream of voting for, like it or not, he or she was made in the image of the creator of the universe, the image of God. And so before we talk negatively about anyone, let's please be sure we're using as much energy to pray for these same people and the work that God might want to do in their lives. And please, please remember too, people are watching us. I mean, we live in an incredibly divided world right now. And people are watching Christians, they're watching the church. And so let's take these words to heart. Let's just make them very personal. We can only control ourselves, right? We can't control anyone else but we live for someone. We represent someone who is greater and better and when in doubt or when you have questions, like again, just remember Jesus is our model, you know, and to ask the question, how would Jesus live? How would he react? What would he say through me? I'm not gonna read these words for you in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, but Peter just reminds us that Christ suffered for us. He gave his life for us. Why wouldn't we do the same for him? Why wouldn't we give our lives for him? every day, no matter how many days you have here on this earth. And to be known as Jesus was known for our love, to be known for our gracious words, to be known for our respectful spirit and bold faith and convictions too, because we belong to God. Peter says this over and over again, he's got a plan for this world. And we know and we hang our hope on the fact that Jesus is coming again and one day we will live with him in eternity. And if you ever wonder how much longer... <laughs> If you've ever found yourself asking how much longer, you know Peter's listeners had to be thinking the same. Well, he answers that to a degree in his second letter. And according to Peter, there's a really good reason that the end of the world has not come yet, and it might not be what you think. Write this word down, these words down, 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. Let me read them for you before we close. Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come 
to repentance. In other words, the delay doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means that God's giving more time. He's giving more time for you and for me and for our church as followers of Jesus to do our part, to respond to the work that He has called us to for the sake of helping other people find their way back to God. But maybe the delay is for something else too. Uh, Evidently, Albert Einstein uh, became a little more absent-minded in his later years of life. And there's a story that's told about him that one day he was on a train somewhere on the East Coast and traveling, and uh, the conductor of this particular train was coming down the aisle collecting and checking all of the tickets of all of the passengers. And when he got to Albert Einstein, he noticed him, and maybe for the fact that he was a frequent uh, uh, passenger on this train. But uh, as he went to collect Albert Einstein's ticket, uh, Albert Einstein began frantically searching. He had misplaced his ticket, and so he was looking in his clothes and looking at his bag and under the seat, and finally the conductor put his hand on his shoulder and said to him, Mr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. Don't worry about it. And the conductor continued on down the aisle and eventually made a U-turn and a few minutes later was making his way back. And when he came to Mr. Einstein's seat again, he was still frantically searching for his ticket and looking everywhere. And again, just feeling sympathy for the man, he he put his hand on his shoulder and said, Mr. Einstein, we know who you are. I trust you. Don't worry about it. And Albert Einstein looked at him and looked him in the eyes and he said, it's not a matter of trust for me. It's a matter of destination. I don't know where I'm going and I need the ticket. I tell you that story today just to simply ask the question of you. Do you know where you're going? Are you confident in your eternal destination? I, I don't know what your belief system is and how you've put the pieces together for yourself. The world says this, it can be whatever you want. At some point in your life, you've got to ask yourself, does that hold up? And we don't say this out of arrogance. We're just hanging on to with confidence with every part of our lives. Our, our hope is in Jesus, that he is our only hope, that he is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to truly know and be confident in your eternal destination. And his invitation is for everyone. He is, doing an, he is doing a great work in this world. He, he wants to do a work in your life. He, he loves you. He gave his life for you. And his hope, the life that he offers, isn't a life just one day for heaven. The great thing about it is it's, it's for now. And it's a life of purpose and significance and hope and joy. And it's for now. Do you know where you're going? Do you know Christ is your Savior? His invitation is for you today. He's ready to give you that hope and show you that picture of what can be in your life if you're ready to trust Him. Will you stand with me? I'll just spend a few moments just praying with you and then we're going to sing and close. But if you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord who set aside the comforts of heaven and came to this earth and lived life and lived life the way it was meant to be lived. And he gave his life on the cross and paid the price for sin and death and corruption and hate and every form of evil that this world has ever known and experiencing. But he, you gave your life, you, Jesus Christ, he gave his life for us. He paid the price for sin and death and what he offers us is a new life, a new life through him with new hope, is a new creation in Jesus Christ. And um, 
I just want to give you this opportunity today. If you've never invited Christ Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, why wait? Why put it off any longer? If you just sense that God's doing a work in your life, maybe, maybe today's the day you just seal that once and for all and surrender your life to Him. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts that, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that we will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity just to respond to that right now, wherever you're standing. You just pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to be all of my life. To forgive me, Lord, to give me a new hope and a new life in you. A life for now and one day, one day when you return. And uh, man, if you if you pray that today, if you're ready to pray a prayer like that, like I, I just want you to know this is it's good stuff. This is the greatest decision you can ever make in your life to trust the Lord. And uh, man, He is ready. He is ready to work in you and do great things in and through you. We'd love to help you in that. We'd love to help you in thinking about these next steps. So you got to tell somebody. And if you made a decision like that today or you're ready to make a decision, see me afterwards. See the person that invited you today, somebody that you know here. you got to tell someone and let them celebrate that news with you. And for the rest of us, Lord, we just pray. We pray that we will be encouraged. Father, I pray that you will remind us that while this world is temporary, there is a purpose, that there's a purpose for every single one of our lives. But let it just well up in our hearts this enthusiasm and this excitement and this hope that we have in what's to come and Christ returning and the life that we have in him for today and for every day to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.